Well, open your Bibles to Hebrews 13. And then we'll flip over to Psalm 102. And then lastly, we'll go to Malachi. Hebrews 13. Jesus, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. Psalm 102, 27. But thou art the same, and thy years will not come to an end. And the last one in Malachi 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you sons of Israel, of Jacob, are not consumed. Let's pray. Father, any time you talk about the character of God, it's dawning. I'm humbled, weak, and you know I've struggled in even preparing. But I pray you honor the preaching of your word. I pray you speak to hearts. This is something that's been on my heart for a long time, and it's time to get it out. And these days we need to remember, you do not change. May we rest in that. Give us ears to hear, in Christ's name, amen. Well, with fear and trembling, I'm uh, undertaking a task today that I find very difficult. And the title of the sermon is the Immutability, immutability of God and the immutability of man. And we've read the verses. And Psalm 9:10 says, "And those who know Thy name will put their their trust in Thee." So as we know Him intimately as to His character and ways, our faith will naturally increase, and our worship will be awesome. But we have lost the high and lofty concept of God. Tozer laments that our religion has lost its inwardness. For Christianity, if, 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 if anything, is an inward religion. And you remember, Jesus says that we must worship in spirit and truth. It's inward. And yet, we've lost it. We've lost the concept of deity that makes it possible. Some might say it this way. Some might say that we have lost the inward and only gain the outward. 
If that is true, then it's no wonder the church is anemic, weak, frivolous, and worldly. So let us begin to restore that high and lofty concept of God today. We need to have that perspective. And so a lot of times when people talk about the character of God, they talk about character as attributes. Well, I don't like that word. I can talk about the attributes of a cat, and I can tell you all the attributes every cat has. I can tell you attributes of dogs. I can tell you attributes of cattle. But God is none of those. I think the perfect word to describe God and his character are perfections. They're perfections. They're not attributes. And part of the problem with them, when we talk about the attributes or these perfections, we generally like to talk about them one by one. But God is not that simple. He's not that simple. I wrote down, just in a quick dash, uh, 20 perfections of God. His omniscience, his omnipotence, his sovereignty, his fruitfulness, his faithfulness, his love, his wisdom, his, his eternality, his transcendence, his self-existence, his justice, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his eminence, his holiness, his perfection, his infinite, infinite, uh, infiniteness, his omnipresence, and his immutability. See, if we take them one at a time, we miss something. Because God is not one at a time. He's all of them. And so I thought about this statistically. If I have 20 characteristics and I just took two of them at a time, two of them, I have 190 sermons that I could take you through. And if I took three at a time, it's even more. We would never finish. That's like going through the book of Romans. I know, I know people have gone through the book of Romans. They've spent two years in it. I've seen no change. I don't want to beat a dead horse to death, but I want to look at some simplicities here. Some perspectives of immunity. As we've just read, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday and today and yes forever. How does that strike you? That strikes me phenomenally. The God my father worshipped and the God I worship and the God my children worship and the God my grandchildren worship and my great-grandchildren worship, he will not change from generation to generation. He is always the same. When you disciple someone in Christ, that's what you want to commute to them. He doesn't change. I don't care if it's in Africa or in the slums of New York. He doesn't change. We think about that. It seems to be a very simple, but we act like he does change. And as we read Psalm 102:27, thou art the same, thou our years will not come to an end. And he and Malachi 3:6 says, I the Lord do not change. Now, Malachi is an interesting book 
because it talks, the book starts off with God talking about his love for Israel, and then he gets into the fact you're given offerings that are blemished and defiled. The priests are not acting like priests. The priesthood is defiled. You people are divorcing. That's not my, that was never in my mind. Tithing, you weren't tithing. And God says, I, the Lord, do not change. We change, and we go the wrong direction, but he doesn't change. And Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. There's not another prophet comes on the scene until 450 years later with John the Baptist. Wow. And that's how we come talk about this period, 450 years of silence. Silence. So think about it here. Immutability and omniscience. God already knows. He never learns. Think about that. He never learns. My academic area was statistics and fuzzy methods and multivariate methods. Very complex area. Very complex. I have offers from all over the world to do things with some of my code. But God knew it already. It's not new. We act like something's new. There's nothing new on the sun. So those two go together that way. And then when you think about the God that doesn't change and his omnipotence, God's power never changes. The same power that created the heavens and earth, the same power that raised our, our Savior from the dead, that's the power that's still there. It's still there. It never changes. So sometimes we live in a vacuum void of those who really have experienced God. Tozer made this comment, anything God ever did for anyone in faith, he will do for anyone else who meets the conditions. Let me repeat that. Anything God ever did for anyone else in faith, he will do for anyone else who meets those conditions. But secretly we think the following way. We think that he will bless at some other time, in some other place, and some other people. Those three sleepers bring the work of God to a halt. They shut him down. Shut his spirit's work down. This whisper of unbelief must be repudiated and our ears must hear and obey the voice of faith. I have mentioned before my youngest son got involved in drugs. 
they were dealing in our neighborhood, they were dealing in the middle school, they were dealing in church. He couldn't escape it. His whole personality, his whole being was contaminated by drugs. And finally, my wife says to me, I think we're going to have to kick him out. I hadn't reached that point, but she was right. I listened to my wife. So we kicked him out. And I would roam the streets of Knoxville, certain places I knew that he was, looking for him. Take him out for a meal. But as I understood the seriousness of his situation, my prayer took a new form. God, I want to see the power of the resurrection in his life. Raise him from the dead. Raise him from the dead. And we got to see that. See, I knew God hadn't changed. When you realize that, and you realize that power of God is there, look how boldly you can pray. There are a lot of people in situations like that. He had friends involved in the same drug culture. And they've all come out of it by the grace of God. Bring life to those dead bones. And Ezekiel says, thou knowest, you can do that, Lord. Wow. We can see change. But we've got to believe that God will do it. Was it done in one day? Nope. One year? Nope. Took about five, six years. But God did. We give him all the glory. He was faithful there. And he's always faithful. Now let's look at some pictures and principles of man's mutability. That starts at birth. As soon as we're born, we have change. We have change all our life till we die. And then we have an ultimate change, if we know the Lord, that second resurrection. We live the change. And I hate change. My wife knows I don't like change. But I've learned to adjust to it because God's the author of it. And God desires our change. If you turn to Matthew 5, 48, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord says, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, that's a toughy one. Perfect. Well, that means it's going to take some time to get there. That means I'm going to have to change. And God's going to bring along the indictments to change, the stress to change. To become more perfect. Well, that perfection is not in, doesn't come until we get our new bodies. Our First Peter 1.15 says, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Well, I'm not there. We'll all be there one day. So these verses and many more exhort us to be more like him. 
like him. But there's a time element here, and I want to backtrack a little bit, just for a moment. The non-believer, and we need to understand this, the non-believer changes only one way. And that one way is away from God, more reliance on self, and more self-righteousness. That's his only choice. Now, as we understand that, and we're really sharing our faith, we need to understand the trap and deceit that the lost are in. And we've got to be very gracious as we share the gospel and witness. And we've got to have a life that communicates that gospel. When a non-believer becomes a believer in Christ as a work of the Holy Spirit and the Word, he is transformed, Colossians 1.13 says, he's transformed from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Wow. Transformed. Transferred. Before salvation, we were slaves of sin, but now we're servants of righteousness. The unsaved has only one capacity to serve sin, self, and leave God out. But the Christian has two options. Two options. He can serve God. That's the new man. Romans talks about the new man and the old man. He, he can serve God. He can serve God in worship, serve God in witness, serve God in work. Or he can take on the, he go back to the old man and he choose to leave God out and choose to live according to the flesh. We have a choice. Turn with me to Ephesians 4, 22 and 25 for a moment. This passage has a lot to say about the old and the new. And there are other passages, too. 4.22 Ephesians, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Oh, beautiful description. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for you are members of one another. So the scriptures say to talk about putting off and putting on. Putting off and putting on. There is a close relationship between the new and the old. But the power of the Spirit enables us to do the to walk the way of the new. But why this constant conflict between the old and new, as Paul writes in Romans? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we say we just got the new and didn't ever have the old? And I struggled over that for a while. And years ago, I was studying Romans, not to preach on just to study. And I had a commentary on Romans written by a 
Masonic Jew. And he had a little story that's always stuck with me. This, uh, there was this fisherman. I don't remember where, but I, I assume it was back in Europe somewhere on a river. And everybody in the village fished in the same river, caught their fish, and they brought them to market and sold them. But this particular fish, fisherman, when he brought his fish to market, they were always the freshest. Everybody else fish didn't taste the same. And so when the people went to the market, hey, tell us your secret. Nope, can't tell you my secret. And finally on his deathbed, they finally asked him, can you tell us the secret of why your fish were always so fresh? Fresh. They got top price. Everybody loved them, waited in line for them. Oh, it was easy. In the hole of my boat, I had this mean old catfish. And when I throw the fish I've caught in there, that catfish keeps them stirred up the whole time. And God does the same thing with us. We have a mean old catfish called the old man. He stirs us up all, in it, all the time. So that we cling to him. We will become comfortable in our sin if we don't have that battle. That's the problem. We can spend two years going through Romans. But the bottom line is the problem between the old and the new. It's a battle. And it's a battle that's winnable. When I was a kid, I was a believer as a kid, about eight years old. I had a battle, and my parents were really faithful in helping me. And the battle was lying. And as God helped me break that with my parents' help, never lied again. My wife says, I'm too truthful. I have to tell the truth. I cannot tell it. I, can't, I catch myself trying to expand the truth a little bit. And I said, nope, that's a lie. You've got to tell it like it is. And we all have areas in our life that are giants that affect our inward relationship with the Lord. So let's look at some things, some life responses. How do we develop high and lofty concepts of God? For sure, deeper studies of God's word and the application of those truths to our lives, but also a study of his names and his perfection, perfections with usage in our prayers and meditations. See, that's the reason why I spend so much time outside taking care of cats, walking dog, fishing, whatever the case is. I have time to meditate. I have time to think about what I have studied this morning. And I still have my quiet time, even on Sunday mornings when I'm supposed to be preaching. I don't shirk that. God's going to get me one way or the other, and I give him that time. Number two, let us confess the whispers of unbelief when we think that he will bless at some other time and some other place 
and some other people. Remember, the Lord does not change. He can bless today. Number three, conflict between the old man and the new man in Christ was allowed by God. Notice, it was allowed by him that we might cling to him and his word and not be comfortable with sin. I would add, we tend to want God's blessing today, but we run from the battles. And the blessings don't come after the battles look at Israel's leaving Egypt walking through the wilderness they had to fight the battles the blessings didn't come until they fought the battles and I know that really well one of the disadvantages of being a statistician is you have eyes to see things don't people don't see. And so uh, sometimes I give my students assignments, and they go, what are you going to do? Why are we going to do this assignment? I says, I want you to learn something. And one of the assignments I would give my students, and I did this every year, so I track the trend of what was going on. So I want you to go down to four-way stop signs around the university, and I want you to notice, I want you to record the time that they actually stop at that stop sign. And I want you to record how many people in the car, what's going on, everything, and then come back with your data, and then we'll talk about your data, and you're going to analyze your data. Oh, wait, what? I want you to have real data. Not like the medical community. Oh, we just play, play data on our science. Statisticians want real data. And some of the students came back. Dr. Sieber, did you know a lot of these people run these stop signs down here? Because the time of the stop was zero. Oh, yeah, I knew. I had watched. I just wonder if it was getting worse. And it had been getting worse. And so to analyze the data, I got the chance to show them, oh, there's another way to deal with this data, Some, something we call bootstrapping with smoothing. And, uh, and we can actually construct what's going on. But they were just amazed. And see, I have worked with transportation a lot, and I hate seeing things like that because someone's going to get killed. And that gets my blood steaming going to get killed. And today, you knew the know, know the new way of driving. Intimidation. Guy comes up behind you, rides your bumper. He'll intimidate you. Right behind you, the whole way. And he'll turn off 50 feet past you. Intimidation. That is what the world is doing. Intimidation trying to silence us, trying to get us geared up. And so I have, oh, Lord, I'll judge him. I just pray for that guy. He's not going to make it otherwise. So we've got to recognize it. Number five, 
Let us make sure that we have not lost the inwardness of our faith and gained the outward only. I have a brother in Christ that I spent a number of years with. They are our best friends. His name's Brian. He's a Yankee from the depths of New York. But he loves the Lord dearly. And he's been in the banking profession for years. Big banks in New York, Washington, D.C., and so forth. But he has a love for people in jail. And when you minister to those kinds of people, you have to be real. You have to be real. They can see a fake. You're just out here to get your gold star. Nope. He has been one of those that's not lost the inwardness. Because that inwardness is, drives him on the outward. And that's where we should all be. That's where witnesses witnessing blossoms. When we're such a change inward, we we can't keep our mouth closed and telling someone else about what Christ did. And finally, memorize one of the three verses here that we started with. Memorize one of them. They're short. Choose one. Pray. Meditate on that verse. Thank God that he does not change. Thank him. And look at the advantages of having a God that does not change. His love for me is the same as it was years before. He doesn't change. And that's how come people tell me the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. No, you've missed it. He's the same God. Not changed. Still loves us. Still wants the best for us. And his timing is always perfect. So let's pray. Father, I thank you you are God who doesn't change. Help us understand that more and more, especially in these thing, days when everything is changing around us and nothing is changing for good. But you're going to use these changes to accomplish your will. And we, may we pray in accordance to your will, looking for the name of Jesus Christ to be lifted up and people drawn to him. Father, we love you. Help us to love you more. In Christ's name, amen.